Welcome to Latinx Like Me, a show where we embrace how beautifully diverse our community is while also celebrating the things that unite us. I'm your host, Emma Cardenas, a first-generation Mexican-American born and raised in LA. Many of us have had the experience of wanting to fit in someplace, to not be othered. Today's guest, Casey Cibran, a first-generation Cuban-American from Miami, and I both share the experience of distancing ourselves from our cultures to fit in. This, of course, is a privilege for the white-passing Latinx. We discuss how we came back to embracing our cultures and how we, and you, can use your white privilege to call out the bullshit, especially at the dinner table. We also talk about representation in media and the interior design space. You should see Casey's beautiful apartment decor, which was inspired by her abuelita and has been featured in apartment therapy. And get ready to crave some delicious Cuban food, because we obviously talk about all the tasty dishes you can find at your local Cuban spot. But I mean, thank you so much for you know, taking the time to do this and taking time out of your day. Um, let's just dive right in. I feel like we have so much to talk about. Um, it's going to be hard to like stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's um, do it. Thank you for starting this in the first place and for having me. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, so, okay. So you're first generation born and raised in Miami, which everyone's like, oh, stereotypical must there be Cuban. Yeah. <laughs> There is a large Cuban population though there, right? Like that's not a myth. There is, it's not a myth. There is a large Cuban population that wasn't here when my parents got here. My dad was like the only Cuban in his high school class. Um, but then I feel like from that point to my generation, definitely there's like a lot of, primarily everyone I went to high school with was Cuban. Oh, wow. So how long had your parents um, been in the States before you were born? Um, they came early on. So they came when they were kids, like eight years old. Um, and then I was born a lot later in their lives, but they spent okay. also like a, a majority of their lives growing up in Miami, but it was very different from what it was when I was growing up there. Yeah. And I guess the reason I ask is because I, number one, I think any, like no matter what ethnicity you are, I think any first generation person's experience is is a really unique and difficult one. So I feel like all of us first generation kids are bonded, but the experience can also be really different depending on like how assimilated the family is. So like, for example, if your parents had arrived and then had you like a year later, I feel like your upbringing would have been a lot different. Whereas like your parents were, you know, raised, raised in the States for all intents and purposes. Yes, they were. And while it was really different, they definitely, like, they spoke English and they were very used to, like, living in Miami and the atmosphere before I was born. Mm -hmm. Can you give me, as someone who knows nothing about Miami, I've never been, I want to go, but what is the... What is the layout of Miami? Just like you're currently in New York now. And so like, I kind of know what, you know, New York is like, and you have like your different neighborhoods, even just like within Manhattan. How would you say that that Miami is kind of structured? And would you find like, are there Cuban like neighborhoods or is just everyone just kind of everywhere? Sure. I... I do think everyone is kind of everywhere, um, but I think there's a big population where I lived and where I went to school. Um, 
I'd say there's, when you say that you're from Miami, everyone is like, oh my God, you go to the beach and clubbing every day. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> um, that's not where I grew up. So there's like the Miami beach portion of Miami, but then there's kind of the more residential part of Miami. Um, so I grew up in Kendall and I do think there's a lot of like Cubans that live in Kendall as well. There's like Kendall, there's Coral Gables, which is a gorgeous part of Miami with like the whole Spanish influence and stuff. I think there's a lot of, that's like where I went to high school. There's a lot of Cubans that live there as well. Um, and then there's Calle Ocho, obviously like little Havana. And that's definitely like, if you want to be like, when you come to Miami, I recommend that you go there because if you really want to be like drowning in Cuban culture, that's where it's at. <laughs> So I didn't know that was, that was a real place. I, cause I definitely heard that in like songs. Right. No, it is real. And like every, for Hispanic Heritage Month, they have a huge parade, like along, it's Calle Ocho is 8th Street. So you just, along 8th Street, there's this huge parade and a ton of things going on. There's always like um, men playing dominoes outside of cafes. Like it's a whole, it's like you, you just go to a different planet when you get there. I love it. All right. Adding it to my post-COVID <laughs> travel list. <laughs> you have to go to Azúcar. It's um, a Celia Cruz inspired ice cream shop yeah. and it is delicious and also just really cute. <laughs> oh my God. I love her. Did, have okay. you watched the, um, didn't Netflix make like a, a TV series about her? I haven't. I just found out about it. Immediately watch it, if that's the truth. I just found out about it yesterday when I was doing research because I was like, "Oh, the the first Cuban person that I ever saw in media was was Celia Cruz." Right. She's huge. She is definitely a huge inspiration for me. And like when I came to my like who I am and all of my Cuban ism um I definitely she was a big part of that for me like I love her so I will need to look that up yeah I I want to watch it we'll watch it together we'll like compare yes. notes we'll live text to each other <laughs> yes. and there's I mean another just kind of sort of randomly sidetracked but another amazing Cuban a very famous Cuban is Gloria Stefan absolutely Ooh. get on your feet <laughs> the, the Broadway show that my mom I never took my mom to and she'll never forgive me but <laughs> Wow. Yes, she's also huge. I just watched her. Um, I mean, it's it's obviously an old episode, but she did like a Super Soul Sunday thing with Oprah. Mm -hmm. um, it's wow. on YouTube. Oh, it's wow. amazing. I was like, I love you so much. Can you be like my Pia? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I guess speaking of of Cube, obviously speaking of Cuban stuff, what was the like the vibe growing up in your house, was it like a very Cuban household where like traditions and, and culture and customs were regularly present? I feel like it was a mix, honestly. Like I said, my parents did come here when they were young. So I feel like they had their Cuban side of things, but also, you know, their Miami and finding their own selves here. Mm -hmm. um, but I did very much grow up in like a Cuban bubble. Like going to college for me was a shock because not everyone around me was Cuban. Um, and in my house itself, there there definitely a lot of we'd do Noche Buena, like we'd have family parties and everyone was there. We'd bring the bocaditos. Um, and my grandparents only speak Spanish. So when I was, I feel like when I went to my grandparents was when I really felt like Cube, super Cuban traditional when I was there. Mm -hmm. I have to ask, did they have the plastic on the furniture? 
there was plastic on some furniture. I will say, I give them props, not all, but the, I mean, they love it. They love keeping things perfectly intact that you're supposed to be using. So there's always like, I don't know if you have this, but my fam, my parents and my grandparents both had like, like the family room is where you watch TV and you sit on the couch and stuff. And then there's the living room, which is like, I guess like the sala, like, I don't even know what they would call it, but it's like all this fancy furniture that you're not supposed to sit on. Like, it's just there until people walk in and look at it. And you're like, what is this? Yes. What I was literally just about to ask you that, like, was it in the like formal living room that you walk past? And it's always like, very ornate couches oh ornate (laughs) and it's like you don't sit on those those are like just for show Noche Buena was like the one time a year so like seven-year-old Casey was like yeah I'm gonna sit on the white couch with this lechong (laughs) oh yes yep same thing it's very much a grandparent thing yes Yes. And I feel like my parents, even my parents now, they just moved to a new house and they still have that area, but I love it. I, it's like they're little, my dad's an architect. So I feel like he gets to make his own, you know, my mom loves designing. So it's cute. I support it. I just don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's a thing. A lot of, a lot of different Latinx cultures have for sure. Um, I guess speaking of food, number one, what is lechon? Okay. Pork. (laughs) I was like, oh, this <laughs> word? Pork, but like that's what we have on Noche Buena Christmas Eve dinner. We have lechong, which is pork, but it's like in a mojo sauce, which is like the the garlic, the lime juice, onion, and it's like kind of looks like a broth, and you just douse your pork in in that. <laughs> Yum! That sounds amazing. Um, what are some other like? What are some of your favorite uh, Cuban dishes? Because I feel like again, everyone when you say like Latin food or whatever, everyone's like, oh, must be spicy, must be this. But Cuban food isn't that spicy, right? It's not spicy. That's definitely a stereotype I feel of like that people think all Hispanics like spicy foods. My parents and my grandparents despise like spicy foods. It's actually me and my cousin are the only ones if they're like terrified of a hot sauce bottle. Um, But we don't put any spicy foods. Um, But it is definitely like heavy comforting meals I'd say rice and beans is always involved in whatever meal you're gonna have and then it's mostly meats I feel like there's no chicken involved in like there's just a lot of meats my personal favorite is vaca frita which translated in English my friends are always like what because it's fried cow (laughs) um but (laughs) it's just beef um yeah, it's just beef, but then they pan fry it like on a pan so that it gets all crispy on the outside. I, my mouth is watering right now, and it's like <laughs> a.m. But <laughs> that's always my go-to order, and then rice and beans and croquetas are our like main. I feel like if you're going to Miami and you want to try Cuban food, you have to try a croqueta, which are like again, it's like ham stuffed into this fried casing (laughs) but it's delicious (laughs) there's um I forgot what I was gonna say I just like now I'm just thinking of Cuban food and I'm so (laughs) there's uh, a I guess a restaurant and bakery here called 
um, Portos and it's like a big thing here in, in SoCal. And I think I was telling you before, my favorite yes. thing to get there is a ropa vieja sandwich, which ropa vieja is, is shredded beef within like a sauce. Which is also so delicious. So amazing. Oh, but I was going to say, um, <laughs> I was going to say Cuban rice and beans, it's white rice and black beans. Yes, it is. My, I distinctly remember the first time I had that because again, I am Mexican. So I grew up having, you know, Spanish rice, which is like the orange yes. rice um, and pinto beans. Yes. And then later my mom, for some reason, switched to like Peruvian white beans. And so <laughs> that was a whole, and so then that's, yeah, that's what I was raised on. So like my refried right. beans were, my refried beans were a lot lighter and she'd always throw like a chile in there. So they were a little spicy. Um, but we, I was visiting, um, I feel like we were visiting an aunt and uncle and we decided to go out to eat and we went to this Cuban place that, again, I think I was maybe 12 at the time and we went and ordered food. I think I ordered like a Milanesa with rice and beans yeah. and it came and I was like, what? <laughs> I just remember, I just remember being so confused at this like little mountain of white rice and then like a cup of black beans on the <laughs> it side. Comes in, like, it comes in like a tacita. Like, <laughs> they're like, here's a bowl of soupy black beans. <laughs> and then they're like, you're supposed to dump it on and mix it together. And I was like, yes. what? Yes. It is very strange. And the rice is always shaped like that little mountain. It doesn't matter where you go. <laughs> but I was just so confused. Because, like, I'd had Milanesa before. Like, I feel like that's something a lot of our, our yes. cultures have. Um but the white rice and the black beans really fucking threw me for a loop. Yeah. Like, I was just not expecting that. <laughs> and it's like, I, I'd say def with every meal, like that's what, if you're going to have a Cuban meal, yeah, it's like the little mountain of rice and the bowl of black beans. <laughs> um, another huge Cuban thing that I think people think of immediately is, is cafecito. Mm -hmm. Now you have just told me that you don't drink coffee. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yes, I don't. I will say I remember being like nine and I'd be at my abuela's house. That was like a staple in the household. Like if we were all hanging out at abuela's house, she would make a cafetera of like Cuban cafecito and bring out like the little shot cups. I remember mm -hmm. those from my childhood, like they're little plastic shot cups and you just put the like shot of espresso in there. Um, and she would like bring those around and I would drink like at nine. I was like, yep. And I would just shoot it back. Like, <laughs> so maybe I just had my fix of coffee and I don't, I don't drink it now, but I will say every once in a while I will have like a Cuban colada because it's just, it's just a shot of it, you know, and it wakes you up. Um, but that's, de that's huge. Everyone, I mean, people love their Cuban coffee. It's so good. It's <laughs> holy shit. It's so good. Like I am a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's that like espumita, like the sugar espumita. It's, <sighs> it is good. So good. Um, what is a colado? You, again, you just said something. Right. I have no idea what that, I was like. <laughs> the colada is just um, basically like the shot of it. So it's, I, I don't know how to make it, but it's like cafe bustelo is in there. And then you make an espumita with like sugar and milk. You just like mix, 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 mix really fast. So it becomes like a frothy thing. And then you pour that on top of the little, and it's truly like a tiny cup and you just take a shot of it. But mm -hmm. it, I mean... <laughs> 
there's tons of caffeine in there. So it just like wakes you up right away. Yeah, it's, uh, yes, that'll put some <laughs> hair on your, that'll wake anyone up. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, now that you're in New York and in New York City, is there a big Cuban population or like where do you get your Cuban food fix? There's not. Um, I, it's, and I've, I'm looking, <laughs> like I made it my mission this past year to just try and find, um, like Cuban restaurants or anything like that. Um, I've found like a couple of Instagram accounts and that's how I've met other Cubans here, which has been really nice. And I went on a, my friend and I actually did a tour with one of our friends, um, Chris, who does like tours of Cuban aspects in New York. So that was cool to just learn and like go to the neighborhoods. And we went to a Cuban Chinese restaurant, which was like one of the last ones that's still here. Um, but I have one Cuban place that I actually think is authentic and that I like. And the guy is from, it's called My Cuban Spot, but he's from Miami. He literally went to high school with my brother. So it's definitely like you can take, it's just, it's the only bite of Cuban that I've taken in New York that I'm like, yes, like this is home, you know? Where is it? Um, it's in Brooklyn, um, in Gowanus. So it's a little, it's like into Brooklyn, but it's so worth the the ride over there. And it's a little Ventanita, which is very, like a lot of cafes in Miami and stuff are just like little windows and you just walk up and you take your order and you sip cafecito while you're waiting at the window and his place is just a little ventanita so it's really Aww. cute it just feels like home yeah that's very cool I mm -hmm. um number one adding that to my list <laughs> <laughs> you have to go his Instagram account even like look up there the food I mean wow it's beautiful what's, what's the Instagram handle it's just my Cuban spot okay perfect um, I don't know why I completely forgot about this, but when I lived in New York, I was working in PR at the time and, uh, we represented a lot of restaurants and actually one of them was a Cuban restaurant. Um, it no, it's Amor Cubano. Huh. I haven't been there. It's in East Harlem. I think it's like on 111th, um, Ooh. and maybe 2nd Ave but I had completely forgotten about that. And at the time I was a PR assistant and, you know, so I obviously didn't have my own accounts, but because I spoke Spanish, um, they gave me that account and it wasn't like a huge account or anything, but right. looking back, I was like, Oh my God, like I had my own account and it was a Cuban restaurant. And like, I remember, I remember making a list of like, you know, Spanish media and any of like the newspapers more like Hispanic you know reporters or angles or whatever and, and right. teaching them this uh this restaurant but one of the perks when you are a broke like 22 23 year old living in New York working right. in restaurant PR is that mm -hmm. every time we would take on a new client um and it was a small agency there were like five of us anytime we'd take on a new client we would all go to dinner at this place and like the rule was no one could order the same thing and you had to get like appetizer, a main course and dessert, and you got a wine pairing with it. And so we could just like try as many things as possible. And we were there to like, this was like immediately after signing um, a client and it was like to evaluate the service and the food and to really like pick out the hero stuff to talk about to the press. Um, and so when, when the, um, PR agency owner gave me this account. She was like, 
you know, go with your friend. And the only, and so obviously the meal is comped and she's like, just tip really well because they're obviously still, you know, serving you. And so um, she's like, you know, take a friend and go, um, since this is now your account, like take a friend and go and, and eat at Amor Cubano and, you know, tip well. And I was like, okay. And so you have these two like broke 23 year olds. I obviously took my best friend um, who I moved to New York with. And we just had like, I remember we had so much food. Like, I, I don't even remember what we ordered, but I just remember being so stuffed <laughs> after that meal that I was Honestly, like, every Cuban meal, so stuffed after shit. It was on, I think it was like on 111th and we lived on 115th and 1st. And I was like, I think we need to walk home because like, <laughs> this is a lot of food. I'm going to need to look it up. I hope they're still there and I will oh, add it to the post. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited now. Okay. I've, so, def- I've heard that like East Harlem definitely has a lot of like Cuban restaurants. And I know there's like a museum up there too. So I do want to check out that part of town. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, let me know if it's authentic. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't remember what I ate. I just remember it was delicious and it was a lot. And they sent us home with leftovers. <laughs> Ooh, oh my, wow. Okay, I'm yeah. heading over there right after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a, and this is definitely my like ignorance because I am not 100% sure on, like last I read, if um, a Cuban migrant, like, steps foot in the states they're granted um residency right mm-hmm. or something yeah that's also the last that i've read on it but i will say i'm not the best source on this yeah and and the reason i ask is because i i was gonna ask like have you um or has your family been back to cuban and like here's a stupid question like is that even allowed it's it's a a much more difficult process for my parents to go like if I were to want to if I were to go it'd be fine but for my parents they have to submit a ton of paperwork as to why they're going how long they're going for if we still have family there so it's it's a whole process um my parents are kind of split on the you know like my mom really wants to go back to Cuba with me and just show me we do still have family there she wants to just show me where she grew up and, you know, just take me around. My dad has a bit of a harder time because obviously that, you know, it was hard for them to leave where they lived. And I think that he, um, he finds it'll be difficult to go back, which I totally get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's harder for them. They're, there's more steps for them, but they are allowed to go and come back. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. I, I never, honestly, I like just never was something that crossed my mind to, to ever look into. And the only thing I can recall as a kid is that uh, my relatives in Mexico were like, oh, I think we're gonna go to Cuba. And I just remember, I think maybe one of my aunts and uncles that that live here, they're like, oh yeah, well, it's easy for you guys because you live in Mexico. Cause I get, and I think that's like a, a stopover for people that were kind of trying to get around whatever federal things are. It's yeah. like you go through Mexico to get to Cuba. That's how my mom got to Miami. She went through Mexico. Oh, yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a whole, I mean, it's a very complex issue and, and one that I absolutely know nothing about. <laughs> and one that I'm still even learning about, you know, like there's, it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So is there a desire to go to Cuba? Like, would you go 
without your mom, like, would you just go on a trip there and, and explore or? Um, I want to go, but I want to go with family. So if it's not, if it's not with my mom, I would love to go with my mom. Um, so I think that's mainly the person that I would go with. But if I could, if I wasn't able to go with her, then I think my cousins, um, one of my cousins has been, and she stayed with our family there and she said it was amazing. And she's brought back pictures of, you know, the places that my mom and my dad used to like hang out at when they were younger and stuff. So that's, I think it definitely be an interesting experience to go, but for like family purposes, you know, to learn about that. What part of um, Cuba is your family from? My dad is from Camagüey and my mom is from Olguín. Um, I do feel like people think Havana is the only place in, in Cuba. <laughs> and that is the only way. That's, that's how they got to my aunt, like through Havana is like how my dad got here. But um, it's definitely not the only place. There's lots of different places. And there's um, a little restaurant that just opened up by where we live that's called like Olguín Restaurant. My mom was so excited to have like her <laughs> representation there. Um, but yeah. I love it. I, I, yeah, it's like looking into it. Um, I think everyone assumes that Cuba is also like just beaches, but there's also yeah. mountains there and, you know, and exactly. And yeah, my, parents, my mom definitely was in the beach uh, part, which is also why I think they loved growing up in Miami because of beaches. But my dad in Camagüey is a lot of ranches. Um, like his dad, they had a ranch and that's where they, that's where they grew up. So different. Yeah. Very different areas. In the totally. same place. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, something I, I really was super excited to to chat with you about is, um, you know, you had mentioned that you didn't really embrace your culture um, growing up. And can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I think I I grew up in the Cuban bubble, but it was very different. Like, I will say that where I grew up was a lot of like wealthy Cubans. Um, so it was like, I went to Catholic school, you know, and there was, um, like my family was very well off when I was younger, which I'm very fortunate for. And there were a lot of wealthy families as well, but I do feel like I just kind of grew up in that, that bubble, you know, I saw all the same people. I was with all the same people. Um, and while I'm very grateful for it, when I left for college, like I told you, it was a shock for me to just no longer be in this Cuban bubble. And I was like, well, what's happening? Um, and then it just felt kind of strange. Like I wanted to be like everyone else when I went to college and everyone that I was with in college was very much, you know, white and like from these like American, modest American families. Um, and like, I remember I brought like my boyfriend at the time I had brought from, from college to meet my family. And he was overwhelmed with like how like I remember he was like wow your family is like really loud and like over the top and so I remember being like well I don't want to be loud and over the top you know so I went through a phase where in college mostly I feel like I was like I want to tone it back I don't I didn't tell people that I was Hispanic like I wasn't proud to be Cuban like I am now mm -hmm. yeah I think that that resonated a lot with me because and you know, I think we'll talk about um, white privilege in, in a second in, in the Latinx community. But yeah, I think it's, there's something about not wanting to feed into people's stereotypes. So you kind of disassociate yourself as much as you possibly can. Now, you and I have that immense privilege that we don't look like 
people's stereotypes of our ethnicity. Like, you know, I've definitely gotten the, well, you don't look Mexican and, and you've gotten the, you don't look Cuban. (laughs) Definitely. Very fair skinned over here. (laughs) I think that's, it's interesting that that happened for you in college. That definitely happened for me at, at a young age where I saw, and I don't think it was even, um, looks wise for me. It was when, because my mom is also very quite fair, um, with dark hair, but as soon as she opened her mouth, like she has an accent Mm -hmm. and that was what, what sparked something in me. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I don't have an accent, so they can't tell. And so I'm not going to say anything because I see how, like, you see how people switch when they're like, if someone has an accent, they start speaking, you know, to people differently. Um, and all these like biases and, and then, you know, whatnot, um, come up. So I think that's, that's what it was for me. And then it's, you know, I think that just happens whether it's in an elementary school or in college, you, you want to fit in and you don't want to be othered. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it was interesting, especially you going from, you know, what you're calling a Cuban bubble, um, where you can maybe relate to your, so it wasn't like that for you when you were younger. No, I, I'm like very blessed that I was, and I always tell myself, I'm like, Casey, like (laughs) you were so lucky, you know, to like grow up with my, and even now, like I go back to Miami and I learned so much like from my family, but also my surroundings. And when I was younger, I feel like I didn't appreciate it as much because like I said, I I wanted to be just like everyone else. And I didn't want to be different. And and I didn't realize like how lucky I was that I could learn so much about myself, like where I grew up in, you know, which I feel like a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing college for you, and, and maybe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but was college where you started code switching or, or did you experience any sort of code switching um, when you were younger? Like, you know, there's obviously one way that that we are at home, especially, you know, with our, with our parents and whatnot. But then when you get into these more just like out in the open situations, you, you know, you, like you put on your white voice and you like change up your mannerisms. You don't want to scare the people. (laughs) I mean, definitely in college. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I just look back to, and I've found my balance now because not to say I, I absolutely found a lot of myself in college that I'm grateful for because again growing up in that Cuban bubble there was a lot that I was like I don't know this isn't me you know and I was able to find more of myself and now I've thankfully found the balance between like being Cuban and being proud but also being my own person kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but in college I yeah just like I look back and that was definitely a time where like my hair was straightened all the time I was just like do I wasn't like I didn't I wanted nothing to do with like the Latinx clubs on campus. Like I just, it just wasn't something that I thought was a part of myself. And it took me leaving that bubble and moving to New York in order to find that happy medium. How would you say um, you're embracing your culture now? Like what is that balance that, that you found? I think just um, being open to who I am, like I do come from a loud Cuban family and I am going to play Celia Cruz radio while I clean the apartment, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just <laughs> those things definitely. And also being open to learning more. Like I, I feel like when I was in college, I like my parents and my grandparents know so much and have been through so much. And I, I like, I just realized that I've never really asked them about it. Like they're, 
they have so much information and I just had never asked them about it. So now just being more open to learning where I came from and you know how we came here, the struggles that they went through to get here. Whereas before I was just kind of, okay, well I'm here, this is me, let me do my own thing. I think learning about my past has really helped to shape who I am now. So, yeah, something that you just said, like, oh, not alarm bells, but like just bells are going off in my head. Cause there's, is, you know, you, you're saying that like, you're, you're asking more now. And I find myself in the same boat where I'm like, okay, like only, and only recently, and I'm, I'm 34 right now. And only recently have I been asking like my mom, like, you know, how, how did you get to the States or, you know, yeah. whatever. And it's something that's definitely not talked about. Um, I feel like, I don't know if it's getting older or just like things are changing and people are, are talking more, but I feel like there are just things that are never discussed. And I, I'm curious as to why, and I don't know if you have any um, theories on this, but part of me is like, well, I don't want to ask because if it's like a bad memory, I don't want to bring it up. But then, you know, these aren't things that are, that are talked about like out in the open. And I, I'm really curious as to why, and I don't know if like you have any <laughs> theories about that. Yeah, I think it's just like, I do think for my family specifically, it was just hard, you know, to, to, I don't think they wanted to leave the lives that they built there. It was just a circumstance that they had to go and start over in this, you know, new place that my dad refers to it as a new planet. He was like coming here wasn't even, it was like landing on a new planet, especially because no one spoke Spanish when they were here. Like they were there. My dad said that there were like signs in restaurants that would say like no pets, no Cubans in Miami. Like when they first got here, like it was crazy. So I do feel like for them, it was a really difficult time. And to, to ask them about it and to have them relive it, you can even hear like, the hurt in their voice while they're like explaining it. But then I also feel like, you, you know, if you talk about it long enough and you put that discussion on the table, then you get to the amazing parts where it's just like, my grandma was telling me how she used to work, like putting radios together at some point, And she like won the award. She was like the only one that didn't speak English, but she won an award for putting her radio together the fastest. And I was like, well, and that was like a win for her. And then like, they just keep talking about the wins. And then it's like, wow, like you went through all of that to get to where you are. And then I feel like they're proud of themselves and the lives they've built, you know? So it's, I think it's a process to get to that point. And it always just, I think that's what it is, that it just brings up a hurtful time in their lives, which you never want to bring up, but then it leads to, to some good, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And yeah, and luckily it seems like, you know, they get softer in their old age and they're, they're more willing to talk. I don't wait, I was like, here's every story. <laughs> oh, yes, those loose cannons. I love it. <laughs> oh. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that, um, I don't know if this is an, a migrant thing or a Latinx thing, but I know when I'm talking to my white friends, they're like, what do you mean you don't know? Or like, what do you mean? You know, or like, why don't you ask? And I'm like, oh, like you, you kind of don't want to ask cause yeah. it's, you know, it's difficult. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, something that we you touched on a little bit earlier is that you know, we're able to kind of shy away from, from our culture in a way, because we don't fit that, that stereotype of, you know, 
well, this is what a Cuban looks like and you don't look like that. So I'm, you know, whatever, I'm not going to classify you as that. And it, it does beg the question of colorism within our community, like especially in, in Cuba, there's, you know, a lot of um, enslaved people from Africa were brought to Cuba. Um, Cuba's a very diverse um, place. And I guess, when did you, in terms of, of colorism and, and I don't know if it's white Latinx or, or white passing, I think that in itself is super complex. Mm-hmm, I agree. Yeah, because like I feel weird at like putting a, I would I would say white passing because I just feel really weird labeling myself as white because I'm like well I'm not mm-hmm. I'm I have some of that privilege but I'm sure as fuck not white like and mm-hmm. it's that like panic and the uncertainty that comes even when like checking off those boxes on forms I yep. is it like other and and Hispanic Latino or <laughs> yes it's strange it's I. I literally right before this interview, I was I was like interview what conversation? <laughs> um, I was scrolling on Instagram and it was like, what is this here? It was like you're not a white passing Latinx, you are a white Latinx. Someone like posted that on their Instagram and everyone blowing up in the comments. Um, but I agree with you. I have a hard time just saying white Latinx, but I also just think. Like I'm me, I'm Casey, I'm Cuban, like it's who I am, you know? So um, I have, I have trouble with, I feel like there's so many complications with that stuff. Um, But I very much, I'm aware of like the privileges that came with being white passing. And it wasn't just me, it was my entire family. Like my, I asked my parents specifically, like before this, I was like to have, you know, have you ever experienced colorism or any negativity you know, based on the color of your skin and they haven't, my parents are also white past, even my grandparents are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like for them, it was more so like when you open your mouth and there's an accent, um, and just, you know, sounding like you speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, definitely haven't come across any of that and I've been thankful for it, but I also think that it's like our responsibility to stand up for what's wrong as well, because we've been benefiting from this privilege while other people are really struggling. Totally. Um, and now that you're, you're recognizing that, and I know that's something that, that is more of a recent realization for me and, and more of a, well, you, you can, and you should do something because you do have, have that privilege. So it's like, if you're already in, in that room, like you can bring someone with you and, and whatnot. So I guess my, my question is like, now that we're, you know, we're a bit more, more aware and, and say coming into our power um, in a way, how are you using your privilege to advocate for others? Yeah, I think um, for me, I'd say my biggest like influence currently is my Instagram page. So I think with that, like my home decor page, I feel like with that, it's, I'm making more of an effort to like lift other voices, you know, whether it be like Latinx, black, Asian, like we, they're definitely the home decor world is, is missing a lot of diverse um, people that are shared and that have a platform. So I've been trying to, you know, lift those voices up, even make connections with people that I wouldn't have otherwise. Cause like you said, this is like a recent realization for me where you look through your feed and I was like, wow, I, I need to do better than this. Mm. Um, And then just using, you know, like resources, signing petitions and all of that and having those hard conversations with your families, you know, Um, 
Latinx is hard. It's with, with these topics and it's, it's hard to have those conversations with your family, but I've been doing them, you know, and just educating um, my parents and my grandparents and like having those difficult conversations. Yeah. So I think that's great. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the hardest part um, mm-hmm. that I found in it's uh, last Thanksgiving immediately like comes to mind where um, one of my uncles was like saying these jokes and they were really like, you know, I think machismo culture is, is a big thing. And, and a Ooh. lot of, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the jokes kind of go in that direction. And, and I just found myself so sick of it. And I was like, don't say that. And like, that's rude. Mm-hmm. And just calling it out and no one else said anything, but I was like, Ooh, I was like, just keep going. <laughs> And I was like, you have like you have daughters, and like, what is wrong with you? And yeah. I, like, well, yeah, I think it's hard. And then, and even till I think it's hard to convince um, people, and sp- specifically your family, to agree with what you're saying and come to where you're coming from. So I feel like, even in a sense, as long as they know where I stand and what I'm doing, that's good enough for me. You know, like for now, to because it is hard. It's hard to to get into those arguments at the Thanksgiving table, you know? And they're the, you know, defense is always like, it's just, it's just a joke or like, it's just a nickname. And I'm like, (laughs) it's just not, it's just not. You don't need to apply like a color to this person. You don't have to say like, you know, Sophie, like La Negra or, or whatever. And I'm like, that has, and I just like that for me is an easy thing to call out and just being consistent because that, I feel like that's a very common thing mm-hmm. in that culture of like a color to people based on the co- and like the shade. Like it's, I feel like yeah. there's a different word for every shade. It's, la morena, la negra, yeah. this, yes. that. yeah. And it's just, be, it's literally just stopping people and being like that. Why are you saying that? Like maybe not, you know, relevant to the story. So like, exactly. don't. It. I was like, do you want me to call you? You know like La Guera or like La Blanca or whatever. Like it's just not, it's not relevant and it doesn't yeah. need to be used. Yeah. And that's what I think is like just speaking up about it. Like is your machista Cuban uncle going to go forth and <laughs> change his whole life? Maybe not, but you know what? Like you stood up for it. Totally. Um, I will say, I feel like it's easy to be like overwhelmed with like, oh, there's so much change that that needs to happen. And and so I just thought I'd, I'd bring up a couple of small steps maybe for people listening that are just great yeah. to, you know, to start like shopping at smaller markets, you know, at Latinx owned or like black owned shops, you know, calling out those microaggressions, I think are, are totally a way to start. Mm-hmm. I'm literally researching Latinx for, to share this week, <laughs> um, like Latinx owned businesses, which again, yeah, like when you take a look at where you're buying things from, that's been a big one for me too. Just like, where do you buy, like looking into where you buy things from, I feel like has been shocking. Yeah. I think what really opened my eyes to that was, I don't want to get her name wrong. I think it's Aurora James started Mm -hmm. the 15% pledge. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen it on Instagram. I know like Elaine Welteroth uh, shared it and that's how I came across it, but it's asking businesses to you know, target or whatever to stock. Um, and I think it's like based on how much of the population they make up, but it's like asking places like target to stock, you know, 15% of their stock to be black businesses. And I think that's Mm -hmm. fantastic. And that's really what made me take a look at like, okay, well, what brands are you buying? Okay. What are things that you buy 
all the time, you know, like detergent or, or whatever. And, and is there a, you know, a black owned or a Latinx owned company mm-hmm. that you can just, you know, and that for me is, is an easier switch. Like it does take more effort, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what deters some people. But literally, if you just look it up quickly, like you can find an alternative to a lot of the stuff that you buy regularly. And like, that's a great way to, to consistently support, um, you know, whether it's black owned businesses or Latinx owned businesses. And mm-hmm. Like that's a switch that a lot of people can make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to, because I can't stop staring at those things behind you. <laughs> I want to talk about your, um, your decor Instagram, which I am so obsessed with. Um, <laughs> it's called Verde, right? It is. Yes. How did this come about? Like what made you start, um, start doing this? Um, I, I've always, home decor has always been a thing for me. Like I mean, when I was little, we would watch um, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, and it'd be like, move that bus! Like, I loved (laughs) all of those shows. Um, And I just always, even in college, like, I would just, you know, set up my little room and stuff. Um, And people always gave me compliments on what I was doing when I had moved to New York. And then when I first, for this place, this is my first time living by myself, Um, so I was like, maybe I should just like document the process of moving in and decorating it and all of that. Um, and then I knew that I wanted to have like my Cuban roots in the name in some form. And then the Casa Verde came to be because it's not a house, but it's my house (laughs) and I have a lot of plants. So (laughs) the Casa Verde. I love it. What's, um, I think this is number one, this is a great way to, as you were saying earlier, to that space really is is very white dominated. And and I I know there are people of color in that space. So like let's ele- let's find them and, and elevate them. And there, oh, there's someone else that I don't know if you follow her. I think it's like House of Esperanza. I don't think I do. She I think she's like I think she's a veteran and I think she's Mexican or Mexican American and I think her and her husband do like not just decor but also like renovations and stuff so kind of like a contractor slash oh I love this follow (laughs) (laughs) um someone introduced me to that one I was like that's amazing um and yeah I love I love what you're doing. Um, please tell me about your style because you did say there was some inspo there. There was some what? Some inspo there from grandparents. Yes. Yes. Um, so I, I mean, I live in New York city. It is, um, it's a lot. It's a city for sure. And it's, dirty there's people everywhere but I love I mean I I love New York but you know it's a lot like uh, I I work in Midtown so you know I take the subway in and there's just I'm surrounded by people and buildings and it's a lot so I wanted to make this space kind of different like very different so that I can come home at the end of the day and be like oh okay um and I wanted to like just infuse some of my Cuban roots in here. So it definitely feels a little tropical, a little boho, but it's also eclectic. Like there's, there's a lot going on in here. I think it's important. I tell everyone my biggest tip is to just surround yourself with the things that you love or things that remind you of the people that you love. Um, so I have a lot in here 
that reminds me of my abuela and just being little and, you know, going to her house there. I have a caned TV stand um, that I bought from Target, but honestly looks vintage. <laughs> and it's, and it's the, like the caned part looks like the chairs that were in her house when I was little that we always like used to go and sit on. And I have some of her um, like planters cause she, she's the one that taught me how to, you know, do plants and stuff when I was younger. Well, cool. But my style is like, tropical Cuban it's like all over the place tropical Cuban grandma yeah exactly <laughs> no plastic on the furniture <laughs> no plastic that's not happening here and no living room <laughs> where are some of the places that you get your stuff like where do you go hunting for things um I'm trying to be more like thrift and secondhand is something that I'm very big on right now. I also love stooping in New York, which is like, there's an account called stooping NYC on Instagram and they just post pictures of things on the street that people leave out for free. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just go and you run like I, my bamboo chair that is like normally $400 I got for free, like just from pulling it up from the side of the street. So there's some wow. good stuff. Um, and then I, I love to support small businesses. Like I've, again, I've been looking into, especially when it's like little, like small trinkets and things. I love to find small businesses that I love, like their messaging and their brand and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then TJ Maxx is a personal fave. I'm definitely low budget over here. So I love finding a deal and TJ never disappoints. <laughs> they have some good stuff. There's they have some good stuff. There's no home goods in the city, right? You have to like drive out for that. There's one and it's, um, it's honestly kind of close to where I live. Um, but it is, it's, it's not like very, it's not like, oh my goodness, the home goods feeling that you get, you know, like when I'm in Florida. <laughs> I was gonna say, maybe it's worth it to rent a car and just go up to home goods. <laughs> I want to go, I want to go to like, New Jersey one, like rent a car and go to New Jersey one day and just go to like Goodwill and Goodwill's another one that I find a lot of home decor at. Just like go to Goodwill, TJ Maxx, like any thrift stores I can find. Just come back with a carload of stuff <laughs> that doesn't fit in here. Okay, maybe don't rent a car and go to <laughs> your apartment. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> um, so I want to tap into your, I guess, quote unquote day job or your career. Yes. <laughs> assistant at NBC mm -hmm. um, how did you, I know that's a very competitive industry like how did you get into the industry yes um I'd say that that's like one of my biggest accomplishments that I'm like proud of you know like I'm proud to be Latina and work at NBC like I um so I grew up in Miami I went to school at UF and I wanted I knew I wanted to live in, in New York and so I applied to tons and tons of jobs in New York City and then I came across one at Cooking Channel um it was it's Discovery now but it's like Cooking Channel Food Network HGTV all that um and I spoke to my who was going to be my boss and you know he was like I'm I'm gonna give you a chance like I'm also from Florida like let's just, here you go. And I got the job offer on the day of my graduation. Like I remember I was at lunch with my parents and we, I was just like so excited and screaming, packed my little suitcase and moved to New York city, one way ticket, which was crazy. <laughs> um, and then while I was there, um, I applied to the page program, which is like an entry level, um, 
it's kind of like a post-grad internship at, we hate to be called interns, but that's basically what it is. Um, and so you rotate across the company. You have different like rotations with different departments um, and you network and you're able to meet a ton of people. Um, and then that's how I got my current job where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. What is your, like, what's your goal there? Or like within the industry, like, what are you hoping to like, what's your next step or, or what are you hoping to achieve? Loaded question, honestly. <laughs> um, I want to change the world in a positive way. I think we all do, but I want to find um, that thing that I'm passionate about. You know, I really love marketing, um, but I also really love like event planning and production and all of that. And I, again, recently, like finding a lot about myself and where I'm from and who I am, I definitely want to like maybe jump into more like, like international departments or, or different ways, even if it's, I'm also interested in like HR, like diversity recruitment and all of that, um, in a sense to kind of help the industry because it is, you know, still very much a lot of the percentage of people that I work with are white. And I want to help kind of improve those statistics because somehow this Cuban girl from Miami was able to come and work and 30 Rockefeller Plaza, like it still blows my mind, you know? <laughs> well, no, that's, that's amazing. And, and I love it. And I love that for you. I think that's super exciting. That's obviously like a big ass name. So like, good for you for getting that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I feel like that it begs the question of, and you kind of alluded to it a bit, but like it begs the question of representation and, and representation in, in the media and, and who's making things. And I know there's a big, um, I feel like it was Diane Guerrero who said like, nothing about us without us, meaning like there should be, you know, whether it's in the writer's room or the actors, like if someone's making a, you know, I was going to say a picture. Jesus Christ, how old am I? If someone's, <laughs> if someone, wow, if someone's making a film about like, <laughs> making a picture about, <laughs> about like Cuban Americans or, you know, Mexican Americans, like there should be other Latinx people in that room. Yeah. Um, and I feel like when, when you think of, Cuban or Cuban American like representation in media like whenever someone says like Cuban in media like I feel like Tony Montana and Scarface is like a big strong stereotype that's maybe from our parents time where like Al Pacino's not even Cuban but right. that's like a big one that that people immediately go to and I feel like that was a film that you know maybe helped perpetuate a lot of stereotypes that have really lasted a long time, especially for the Cuban community. Um, and then, you know, more recently, we have the the One Day at a Time remake that I didn't watch the original, but they've remade it with a, you know, a Cuban-American family, which, uh, have you watched that? I don't know. I have, yes. Um, and I loved it, to be honest, but I completely agreed that we needed, like, a Cuban-American presence for a Cuban-American show <laughs> yeah and it was you know it was interesting I I again I didn't watch the original and I watched a couple of episodes um of one day at a time and I loved it there was just you know even though I'm not Cuban American there were things that I was like oh like this is nice like the grandma living at the house yeah, yeah. that's something I think a lot of Latinx people can can relate to because that's 
that's a norm. Like your parents do eventually move in or you do end up being the caretaker for, for your parents where I don't think it's, it's necessarily like that in, in a lot of other cultures. Mm-hmm. I think that one was, it's hard because a lot of the times I feel like there are wins um, and then they're suddenly not wins, you know, like they'll get canceled. So it's like, I've seen that a lot with a lot of the shows that I relate with, like even at the networks that I work with, you know, we'll have um, a show come out with like a primarily like Latinx cast and then it'll be canceled because, you know, the target audiences just don't want to watch that kind of, you know, so it's hard. It's hard to, to be in an industry where you have to, you know, the target audience is what's bringing in the dollars, but at the same time, like you want a diverse programming, you know? Yeah, that's a tough one. You're right. I feel like a lot of stuff does get, a lot of Latinx stuff, Mm -hmm. I feel like gets canceled. Like maybe the longest running one I can think of is like Jane the Virgin. I feel like they had- Which was huge also. I feel like as, as someone from Miami too, like I've, that was- huge for me a show that you know went that far yeah i i loved it i haven't watched the whole thing i think i watched the first and second season but i got pretty far but i didn't finish it but it was great it was so great i was so thrilled and i was like oh my god like there's so many themes that are being brought up here that that people can relate to i wonder why they keep getting canceled and maybe it's, and you know, something that as, as a marketer myself, something that I've been thinking about is like, well, you know, maybe the market, maybe people need to switch their, their marketing approach. Like just because it's a Latinx show doesn't mean that only Latinx people are interested in it and only Latinx people are, are going to relate to it and, mm-hmm. and vice versa, just because it's a show in, in English doesn't mean that you can't, I feel like we need to change our, our marketing approach. I agree. I think that's something that Jane, Jane the Virgin did really well was just like, I had a ton of friends that um, are not Latinx and like white then loved Jane the Virgin because even they found things that are relatable. I feel like a lot of times with Latinx shows, they're like, all right, we got to zone in on this niche and, you know, come up with all of this stuff that's only relatable to them. But it's like, no, we can have a bit sprinkled in and still make it accessible to an entire audience, you know? Let's develop our own show. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Well, it's funny because, like you said, other people can relate to it. Like, a, mm-hmm. a more recent experience, or, yeah, experience that comes to mind is when Crazy Rotations came out. Yes. I remember I went to go see it, and, like, I cried, and I was like, why is this reaction happening? so much. <laughs> the scene with the mom? <laughs> I was just not expecting that. I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Sobbing, truly. But yeah, see, like, that was one that, like, it was a a relatable experience across the board, I think, for a lot of, you know, immigrants. Totally. Yeah, and then, of course, when Coco came out, oh, my God, like, destroyed. Don't bring that up in front of me. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And it actually made me um, ask my mom, I was like, why don't we celebrate Day of the Dead here? Like, I know, I know they celebrated in Mexico. And I think my family, like, I remember one year we happened to be in Mexico. And like, I feel like I went to the cemetery and like, I saw the altars and it wasn't like the day of, but it was like leading up to it or something. Right. Um, I was like, why don't we celebrate that here? And it makes me want to just start it on my own and like, well, 
Like, I'll like, go to an altar. <laughs> I, the ofrenda is up. Like, I am ready. There, I think that that movie did a great job of, again, making it relatable, but also, like, it just beautifully put on a screen a concept that isn't, that you can't really, you know, like, put into words. Like, it was just so beautifully done. And even I, like, I know what the Dia de los Muertos is, but I didn't really know the tradition behind it and, you know, the ofrenda and all that stuff. So just learning that in a kid's movie was genius, you know? Yeah, it was, it was lovely. And I, I will say it's nice to see um, representation done in a way that's, that's not too far off the truth. Cause I feel like Pocahontas comes to mind where like that was a fucking war pass version of what actually happened. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> at the time, like, again, it's, it's really, it's looking back and, and realizing like, oh, okay, that probably wasn't the best way. Cause I remember when it came out, I was like, oh yeah, like this is different. I love this movie. This is, cool. mm-hmm. this is awesome. And then looking back and you're like, oh, okay. you're like, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, was there um any other like standout moments of of seeing yourself or or your culture represented um in the media that that stands out to you sadly there's not many so that those were big ones for me um but just even like you know where I work and the the platform that I'm given is really awesome like I there are a few very few of us you know that are Latinx but if there is a show that's coming out that has a Latinx cast like I will be put in a focus group or I'll be asked how do you feel about this title so it's it's nice to be able to to have that platform and that opportunity to speak out about it I just would love to see more of it you know yeah I I love that I love that you're you know being consulted and and being brought into those things because that I think that's really important I think it's when when there isn't any, um, when <laughs> there isn't any diversity in the room that you, you get these really tone deaf, you know, campaigns or, or titles or, or what have you, and just across the board. And it's when, it's when we don't have diversity in those decision making rooms that, that you get those tone deaf campaigns and those tone deaf, you know, whether it's in a writer's room and and someone on screen just says something completely out of left field and, and stupid. Yep. Like, this is why, like, this is why people need to be included. And at all levels too, like, I feel like the, maybe the easy way out for people is like, well, we can, you know, diversify our intern program or diversify our, our entry level hires. And I'm like, that doesn't matter. It's the decision makers that mm-hmm. need to be listening and, and be, diverse because someone will see something completely different than, you know, than whatever white guy is in charge at the moment. Yeah. And I feel like it's rare that, you know, the, the entry level positions get, you know, a lot of power or listened to. I'm, I'm in a rare situation where I feel like my boss is extremely open to me speaking up and to learning from me. Whereas that's not the case across the board a lot of the time. Yeah, though hopefully things are things are changing. I think that's it sounds cheesy, but that's something that that I think is is big in our community. Like I feel like we can be Debbie Downers. Like we're very we're strong people and like we we just keep going and keep pushing and oh, yeah. you know, there's there's hope. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Well, thank you so much. I think that's a hopeful note to end on. <laughs> yes. I will post links to your beautiful Instagram, La Casa, or the, la, the Casa Verde, <laughs> to follow you there. But thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you. This was so fun. And I feel like I learned so much. And now we're best friends. <laughs> I'm so excited. Thanks for joining us today. Latinx Like Me is executive produced and hosted by me, Emma Cardenas. Remember to subscribe and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And please leave a review. It's a great way to help us grow and show your support. Feel free to reach out on Instagram at latinxlikeme or via the website latinxlikemepodcast.com if you would like to nominate someone to be featured or just want to say hi. See you next time.